Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host as always, Alex, and with me tonight I have Brad. Good evening. Well, uh, to take a positive spin out of the two results we've had, we're undefeated after two games, uh, which which is better than we've been uh, the last couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the Ipswich game, which was, I guess, the one that felt more like two points dropped, uh, given the fact that we were leading 2-1 in that game, and and then even at 2-2, Diamande had a great chance in the 90th minute or, or late in the game to, to win it for us. Um, what have you made of the fact that we continuously concede these late goals and it's dropping us so many points? Um, I mean, look, we keep talking about the fact that our goal scoring's been great, but our defence has been terrible and it's just another repeat performance. Here we are, dying moments of a game uh, with another wide-open box for players to drift in and out of and, and score something that looks pretty sloppy. But I think it just gets back to what we were talking about last show, was that it just appears that there's a real lack of accountability um, defensively across the whole squad. Um, and this is now, what, the third or fourth time we've had our hearts broken um, in the last moments of a game. Well, in, in fact, it's, I think the statistic is nine goals in the 83rd minute or later, and... I think it's cost us nine points, which is roughly the amount of points that we actually sit outside of the playoff places, which is pretty remarkable when you consider we've looked so awful all season uh, to one degree or another. And the fact that we would actually be sitting in the playoff places if we would cut out those late goals it probably underlines just how poor or how, uh, how average this division actually is. You're dead right. And, and I think if we have a real good look at those the teams that are informed there's realistically probably four to six quality sides who you would expect to be you know above average championship sides and then there's a, a real gap between say the top six and then the next 15 or so sides that are just inept and could beat anyone <laughs> on any night depending on which way the ball bounces off the post that's sort of how it appears to be um, in this division, I mean, even it wasn't that long ago that we were sort of saying that teams like um, Birmingham or, or, or even Fulham have got the potential to grow through the division, and there they are, wallish, wallishing around with us. Um, and probably the only team that obviously is probably outside of that top four or five that we know could potentially do something is Derby, and that's only because they've got some of our better players there. Uh, well, the ball's certainly bouncing the right way for Jared Bowen at the moment, and he got another goal against Ipswich, which I think takes him to nine goals for the season. Uh, I think he's still close to, if not uh, at the top of the table in terms of top goals scored. Uh, I don't know where this has come from. I mean, in pre-season, he obviously scored a couple of great goals, and he looked promising in games last season. But to think that basically in his first season of senior football, to be just taking the championship by storm is, is incredible. Look, it is. And probably the thing that is most impressive, obviously, if you're scoring goals, you're playing games and you're getting time. And I think probably the thing that impressed me the most is one of the stats I was looking at about the leading goal scorers is he's now played just as many minutes as any striker in the competition, which actually shows uh, more than just the goals he's scored, but the fact that he's, he's pretty much one of the first players on a team sheet each week and probably the thing that's exciting is his goals have actually been top draw some of them have been absolute crackers and, and, and um, he's not even playing as a striker really i mean he's no he's not playing on the wing 
That's right. And um, I think uh, one of the stats I saw was one of the other players in the league, it might have been one of the Wolves forwards or something, has scored the same amount of goals as him, but had something like 20 more shots on on uh, on goal. So um, I thought the fact that his conversion rate, when he gets near the edge of that box, I'd be a pretty nervous opposition defender um, yeah. at the moment, yeah. Absolutely. And I guess the other player we've touched on before, uh, who's just been in outstanding form is Alan McGregor, and he showed it again. He saved a penalty against Ipswich. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to sort of hold on for that victory, but he's just been in remarkable form, and I think he's actually just been named our Player of the Month. Yeah, look, no surprise, and, and I'm glad you actually mentioned that, Alex, because I think when we were talking about team spirit and accountability over the last couple of podcasts now, nothing to me pointed out where our problem lies more than McGregor pulls off potentially what is a point-saving save and the the response from his own teammates was pretty limp. Yeah. Uh, I, think I think he got think, one or two yeah. pats on the back moments later. But let's face it, go back to when the team in, in recent years has felt together and accountable, you know, obviously when it was Jakubovic, he promoted this sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, there'd be cuddles, there'd be, you know, pretty much piling on top of him and yeah. that to me sums up how I think this squad must feel you know there he is effectively winning you points off his own glove um, and I think it was two sort of pretty average responses from our players saying oh well done mate rather than what we would think you would be effectively tackling your own keeper with excitement yeah and it definitely underlines the fact it's a very disjointed squad I mean three of the back four that started I think against Ips which I know for sure they did against Millwall Intermori, Hector and Aina are all Chelsea loanees. So in a sense, they should have a decent amount of camaraderie between the three of them. But in terms of the rest of the squad, in terms of the rest of the back four, whether it's Dawson, whether it's McGregor, yeah, it, it's very disconnected. Look, it is. And I think it, it's pretty easy to have a look at the players that have come in um, and say, yep, OK, they've got to have time to gel or, or even with the manager, they've got to have time to gel. But... We all know in the past, especially in the Premier League season, okay, there's excitement, but players step up, individuals really step up and say, do you know what, it doesn't matter whether Steve Bruce was against the wall or Phelan was about to lose his job or whatever was going on, someone stood up. You know, Curtis Davies was very much aligned there for a while. Would he ever get back into the side? And the next thing you know, he's captaining a Premier League side and putting his body on the line like no defender in the competition. So... What's disappointed me is some of our players that have stayed, including Dawson, um, you know, you've got to stand up and actually command from the other players what's expected. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite worrying as well. I mean, Dawson seems to... I mean, he's he's not getting any younger, so there's that element as well. But the fact that three of his back four, well, maybe disregarding Hector, but two of, two of the others, whether it's Clark or whether it's Damori and Aina at right fullback are quite young and inexperienced. So there's a lot of expectation on Dawson to sort of pull that defence together and to marshal the, the defence, and it, it just doesn't seem to be working at the moment. No, look, it doesn't, and I think part of the problem with, with all of this is obviously Dawson hasn't got the confidence he should have, um, and therefore it's pretty hard to jump up and lead. But I still point back to that Curtis Davies example where you'd remember there was a time there he was on the outer and people were questioning whether he was ever going to get back. And yeah. when he came back, he really showed that even if he's not good with his touch or he's not winning every 50-50, the way he bossed and moved those players around around him meant that he didn't have to work as hard. 
Um, and that's what Dawson's got to learn here. I mean, come on, you, you've got fit, very strong, young, impressionable defenders all around you. He could make a, a, a hell of an easier job for himself if he was really the commander of all things in that back line. But it just seems like he's happy to be part of the sort of the average, so to speak. Yeah. And I guess we had the opposite issue at Millwall where we were able to finally keep a clean sheet. I can't remember the last time we managed to clean sheet. Probably against Bolton, actually, um, all the way back then. Uh, but then we weren't able to score down the other end. So <laughs> it's almost like we went from one extreme to the other. And it was good to not see a late goal conceded as we've tended to have those almost every game these days. But again, I guess with both games, do you feel it was a case of two points dropped? Um. Yeah, look, I think the Ipswich game was definitely two points dropped. Um, in the scheme of things, over the two games, I know oh, I know there's been sort of talk about where Millwall fit into the current form line, and yes, they're down with us and so on. But I always felt like, you know, okay, we're playing playing Millwall away. That's reasonably tough as far as an away game should go. Um, I'd be happy with the point, but. Obviously, the Ipswich result was, I think, really was three points dropped. Uh, sorry, the, the two points dropped. And, so. and Millwall, I think, recently managed to beat Cardiff at home. So it's really, as you say, it's not actually that uh, disappointing to get a point away there. And as you say, it's a tough place to go. I mean, my first live experience watching City was back in 2010 when we travelled to Millwall and we lost 4-0 there. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a few, uh, it's, I mean, who really wants to play Millwall midweek yeah. um, away? I mean, um, and, and to be honest as well, probably the thing that surprised me was obviously I know um, I read pretty much a lot of the match report and the comments after the match from the managers before I actually got to see most of the game due to the time difference. But I really felt like their their boss was quite happy that he held us to a draw. Um, and I, I sort of found that interesting. He, he I think he was quoted talking about how expensive our squad was. Um which if he's got that sort of mindset, he clearly felt like we were probably going to pinch all the points. Yeah. Um, and I know he made some comment about how well they defended. So I don't know whether it was false praise or not, but certainly from our perspective, Millwall point away, great. But Ipswich home, crikey, we've got to be getting three points. Yeah. And I guess there was a lot of discussion about the team tactics and selection. Uh, Grzycki was left on the bench for the Millwall game. And then the substitutions were quite interesting. I think Campbell was the first one to come off. And then um, Dicko might have been the next to come off. And I think the third sub might even have been uh, Bowen going off. So I think we essentially substituted off our three most attacking players progressively through the game. Which I don't know if that would then suggest that he was quite anxious to keep the point um, given our propensity to, to concede those late goals recently or if it was just a matter of just trying a different sort of combination but um, first of all with Krzyzewski not starting the game what do you make of that and then I guess as well the, the, the tactics throughout the game Yeah look um, I was probably a bit surprised that Grzycki didn't start um, but I think probably the fact that you know he's conscious of the fixtures coming up, the fact there's midweek games these sorts of things, he probably Felt like, well, I can use Grisicki for half an hour or something to try and change the game if we if we need it. Um, certainly, I understood why he brought Dicko off because I think Dicko's been a bit maligned lately. I think he's probably been one of our best players, if not our best two or three players. And obviously, Slutsky sees the formation he's playing at the moment as Dicko being very, very important in that. Um, so I think he probably had one eye on keeping him 
a little bit in cotton wool for the weekend. But um, probably the only thing that did surprise me a little bit was the fact that uh, Campbell came off when he did. I mean, it only gave Diamondo about six or seven minutes or something um, in the scheme of things. And I sort of felt like, well, if he was thinking about giving Dicko a little bit of a breather, that, that Campbell probably needed it too. But... Um, I didn't really have a problem, other than I still have the problem with the actual lineup. But I still have a little bit of a problem that even with the Millwall game, I was more surprised that Milo didn't start, yeah. um, and that knowing that we're going to Millwall, knowing that we're going to have to, you know, tie the laces tight and get in there, I thought Milo might have been a better option um, in that central midfield space. Yeah, especially um, with um, the suspension to Larson. Yeah, look, exactly. That's that's probably even more important in this case is, is the reason why he should have come straight in. Looking at who's in, who was in that original, that, that starting lineup, I still feel like we're getting something wrong with the way we defend all over the park, not just at the back. And uh, I think Myla might have helped that, mind you. You know, nil all at Millwall, clean sheet. I hate to say you'd take a point because we should be trying to take three from everything, but... I still think it's not a bad, bad result. Yeah, and now undefeated in two games, it's something to build on. Uh, Bristol City at home, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I guess the downside, of course, being that Ehab, being at the game, there's been a lot of talk in the last few days about Slutsky's future and, and the fact that it sounds as if the owners were really hoping that he would be able to get the win at Millwall and that the, the fact that we weren't able to get the win might not have been enough to save his job. There was a lot of talk yesterday that he was actually going to get sacked yesterday. Uh, it now sounds as if it's been delayed until after the Bristol City game, so maybe that will be his last chance. Um, a lot of talk about the fact that Nigel Adkins has been in the director's box at recent games, that his long-term assistant was down scouting Bristol City, so perhaps setting it up, the fact that they might be coming in uh, to manage the team on Saturday. Now, not the case, but what, what do you make of... First of all, Ehab being at the game at Millwall, the sort of the clouds looming around Stutsky and then his potential replacement. Um, well, I mean, they all roll into this absolute dog's breakfast of a situation we find ourselves in. You know, we've got a, a manager who is clearly defeated um, and for one reason or another, um, no matter what side of the fence you sit on all of the arguments, whether it's Alam out or Slutsky's not up to it or whatever, we all know that Slutsky effectively has been dealt the, the shit sandwich here like Mike Phelan got last year. Um, and and you, although there's quite different um, comparison between the two because I think Phelan's actually got a better tactical nous than, than Slutsky has, um, they're really in the same boat. It doesn't really matter what sort of start we, we had have got uh, that the players aren't necessarily the right players for the way Slutsky wants to play, if he even knows exactly which way he wants to play. Um, and Ehab being there probably just, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was there just in spite to keep some rumours going that there is going to be a change. And Adkins was there because Ehab knew that the BBC umbicide will jump on it and start running with it and then he's going to get it's, it's all just smacks of this comedy act that we see all the time. Um, the fact that, you know, Adkins, long-time assistant scouting Bristol, uh, yeah, probably paid him as a, a couple of hours just to do it, just to, to have a bit of a laugh. It wouldn't surprise me. But I think we all know that realistically, no matter what happens this weekend, it appears that Slutsky's gone. And, and mentally, I think he has gone. He's checked out. He His comments... Um, 
after the um, both the Ipswich game and the Millwall game were very much of a manager who thinks he's gone. Um, Which I think is a shame. I really think it's a shame. It is. It is because I think he's he's refreshingly honest because of the language barrier as well. And I think that his his honesty is effectively what I think is keeping him um, sort of somewhat romantically on the positive side with the supporters because they feel sorry for him. They really feel that here is a guy who wanted to make a name for us. His stars were aligned with ours. Um, And 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 that generally gets you halfway there. Yeah, and it's quite funny to see the really stark comparison between him and Marco Silva, who in a lot of ways are in the same boat, that they've both learnt English, come to, the, come to England, come to the Premier League or the Championship with this ambition of managing in England. Um, Silva, I think, because he's that young, attractive manager, uh, he, played, he had a great playing style, he had that great home record. There was a lot of enthusiasm behind him in that sense. But then in his interviews, he was much more of a detached, calm, um, cold sort of mannerisms in a, in a lot of ways when he was in those interviews. Whereas Slutsky's the quite opposite. He's obviously the you know less attractive, more bur- burly sort of manager. Who initially you look at him and you think, oh, geez, you know, he's in the Steve Bruce sort of mould or um, Nigel Pearson perhaps even uh, being a bit more dour. But then you hear him talk and he's very jolly. He's very happy. He, as you say, he's refreshingly honest. Um, and he's a very attacking manager. So we're, we're one of the top scorers in the division still, but we just can't keep a clean sheet, can't stop those goals coming in. Uh, and yeah, look, really you're right. And he, I think he would really benefit from the fact that he could bring in a couple of players, be it loan or otherwise, in January, that finish off what his game plan is. Clearly, he's an attacking manager and we're scoring as many goals as anyone. So he's getting one thing right. The key thing, and I think I harped on it last week, and not to say that I'm an expert by far, but I think the issue is we don't have um, any depth or even headline depth in our defence. We are still makeshift. We are still question marks over everyone um, in that defence. Even Hector in recent weeks, we know that he's a quality player, but he's he hasn't looked like the player that we know he can be or, or has been at times. Um I would like to see Slatsky given the chance to say, do you know what, in January, bring in a few more that you want um, and then we'll see how we go. Because we saw what happened last time we make a a change to manager, especially when it was at the the death knock. Um, We're chasing our tail. We've still got time to turn this around to, I certainly wouldn't say a successful season, but an accomplished one anyway. And it's, I guess, really disappointing because I think if he is to get sacked in the next week or two, I would hope that he doesn't give up on English football. I would hope... He, he seems a really promising manager, and I think if he goes to a club that will actually sign the players that he wants that will suit his game style, as you're saying, he would be a great success. I think there's a lot of issues at the club where he's been pretty much handed this squad, and I think in a lot of ways, I don't know how seriously it is, uh, I've heard talk about the fact that one of our recruitment strategies was to sort of go out and buy players that scored goals against us because the theory went, <laughs> if they scored against us, they must be decent players. And we went out, we got Dicko, we got Irvine. I don't know if that's true, but it obviously happened that way for those two. Um, it's a very just a ramshackle sort of squad that we've assembled. And, and obviously with Kingsley, we've essentially sold Klukas to Swansea and said, right, do you have a left back that we can grab? Great, we'll take him. So there's not, <laughs> there doesn't seem to have been a whole lot of strategy in our recruitment. Mate, you've you've hit it on the head. You've hit it on the head. Transactions, that's really what they've been. 
they've been. Yeah. You, you can almost go back now to the Phil Brown era where, you know, Peter Halmosey plays a fantastic game against us when he's at Plymouth and the next thing you know he's in our <laughs> squad and, and we've paid millions for him. So I think you're dead right. It's no coincidence that now, other than the um, Kluka-Swansea deal and, and um, uh, getting a player back, that we, we have effectively picked for players who have had a day out against us. Um, and uh, I, I would be surprised if Ehab even knew who Irvine was before that day that he rocked up scores against us and gets sent off. Probably getting himself sent off was the best thing because Ehab <laughs> saw him. Um, yeah. And that's that's pretty much where we're at. The one thing that you can take some heart in, and, and I hope he gets the time to do it, but whether we've got the patience or the time to wait, is that you know, Slutsky's whole record as a manager has been attacking but he's very rarely had teams that have ended up um, at the end of a, a season or, or a, a international campaign um, without a positive goal difference. And the one thing that's changed, obviously, at Hull is, is that now we've got effectively a negative one. And I think it's more because of who he has to select from. All of those other clubs he has had, if not total right, but he's, he's picked the players, he's, especially the national team, it's his call. Um, whereas here he is with us, and effectively he's been handed handed 90% uh, of a squad without really much choice, and that's the problem. Klukas, Diame. He's got away from Flint, and he'll shoot! Oh, yes, indeed, that's a great goal! Mo Diame hits the corner flag about as hard as he hit that shot. It's flown into the back of the net, and that should really be the match for Hull. 3-0 to the good. Well, we'll talk about the Bristol City game now, and there's obviously a pretty famous memory in our history about facing Bristol City at Wembley, Dean Winness, that moment that just had to be. But we've also had some pretty decent results in recent seasons. I mean, Diami's goal against them um, just a couple of seasons ago on the way to promotion, absolute belter. Uh, Diami himself, no stranger to a pretty uh, cracking goal for us at Wembley as well. Um, but they're a team that we seem to do quite well against. And, of course, the way that the season's going, they're a B team at home. All signs seem to point to a positive result for us. Yeah, look, it could. It could, but a lot of it will come back to, I think, whether or not the players feel like they're already past it. Um there's obviously a confidence issue there. Um, I would love to be positive. I would love to be, you know, considering the fact that it's another romantic event. We're going to play Bristol City. They hate us. We constantly show them how far superior we are. And then when we're really down and out, they remind us that you're only as good as the last time you play them. So I think probably the thing that I do have some faith in is I'd rather face Bristol than, than say, a Wolves again at the moment. Um <laughs> And if, if, if Slutsky is going to have any chance of holding his job, we really do need a performance this week. And uh, who knows, Ehab's probably made his mind up. But um, I would like to think that at least if, if, if the players could do the right thing this week and get the result, that at least Slutsky could hold his head up to say, look, I gave it a crack with the resources I supposedly was given, and I, I tried. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if we, we, if we do manage to get the win... And Bristol City aren't slouches this season. I think they've only had the three losses for the season so far, with a pretty, um, pretty abnormal loss to I think it was Preston yesterday morning, um, or this morning even perhaps. Uh, actually, I think it was yesterday morning. 
been quite unexpected. Um, if we were to get the win against them, I, I find it hard to see Sasatsuki getting the sack on the back of a win, but stranger things have happened. Um, yeah, look, I think you're right. I, I, I yeah. think that... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just this constant Ehab talk that keeps coming up. <laughs> but I almost feel like it just wouldn't surprise me if he does put out a good side this week, they win, and he still gets the sack. <laughs> that's that's just the way I think Ehab will think, oh, here's another way I can stick it to the supporters and give it, get a second-rate manager in to replace someone who might have turned a corner. That seems to be Ehab's method at the moment. But I don't know. I've, I've got a bit of a feeling with Bristol that if you look at their results, they've they have been scoring goals. I think they had one game against Leeds that they didn't score. But um, in recent games, they've been scoring a couple of goals. So they would have to bank themselves coming up to our paddock that, you know, Hull haven't got a great defence and we've been consistently scoring two or, <coughs> excuse me, three goals. Um, but I do feel that the one thing that probably came out of the Preston game uh, the other night was that... Uh, on the counter, they really looked a bit lost. And although the goals, um, and I must admit I haven't seen the whole game, but I made sure I watched some of it, uh, let's face it, Preston have been struggling, uh, to say the least, um, with some of their results. And I think the fact that they were able to go to Bristol's dig and, and pinch the points means that we'd have to bank ourselves to be able to score a couple of goals as well. And I guess it's quite positive with the way that Slutsky lined us up against Millwall with two up top, which was great to see. I mean, we started the season with two up top with uh, Campbell and Hernandez. And after the Hernandez injury, we sort of reverted to a one up top setup because I think Slutsky didn't have a whole lot of confidence in uh, in the strikers that we had below Hernandez. But we've seen, I mean, Dicko scoring a goal against Ipswich is a great sign of, uh, of his sort of finishing ability. Uh, that we've seen a couple of times now, and Campbell as well has scored a couple of tidy goals. So if we can see the two of them up top together, and I think we were even saying it on the podcast last week, that they can really complement each other. Look, they can, and and both of them working well together gives us a little bit of time for the midfield to actually you know, be able to, to fall in behind them and defend. Um, even on the weekend, uh, to see um, the way, you know, Dicko was effectively a one-man show. Um, he still he still played very well, but I actually think the fact that the ball was rebounding back out of our attack sometimes was catching our our midfielders wandering. Um, and playing the two up top, I actually think brings the whole game up the park for us. And uh, defensively, if if we've actually got more players behind the ball, but in a unified way, we should defensively be better. And it's probably no surprise that we ended up. Um, over the uh, over the Millwall game, um, not conceding a goal as well is that I think the fact that we're actually defending a bit better as a team. We're still way way away from where we need to be to even be a top six or eight team, but there were some signs there that we can do it. Besides the last minute against Ipswich, of course. Yeah. Um, do you see any obvious positions that might be changed um, against Bristol City? I think. I mean, Grzycki coming into the starting lineup would probably be the main obvious one. Do we see any other changes? Maybe uh, we, we touched on the fact that Myler in, def- in, uh, in midfield might have been a, a good position for him. Um, and obviously Larson back from suspension as well, who, who Slutsky really seems to rate because Larson continues to start a lot of, uh, a lot of our games. Um, perhaps Myler over Larson, or, or, or do you see one of them coming back in? Look, um, 
from a results perspective, I actually think Larson coming back in would be would be good. Um, I've often said that I still think Myler's a hard worker. He does, you know, bleed black and amber. And, and for a guy who's not obviously one of the most skillful midfielders you'll see, um, I do back him to do a job. But I think we've actually got to get past that and say, do you know what, we want to actually be a far superior team who can play the ball the way Slutsky wants to play it, attack. One-touch football. Myler's last outing at home, um, if I remember... He, his turnover of on, on the of the ball on his passing was horrible. Well, um, something really interesting that I hadn't I didn't know about Milo. I think I'd heard it uh, and and assumed it was a joke, but but heard it confirmed by Milo himself uh, in one of his FIFA videos that I happened to be watching. But I didn't realise that he was he's genuinely colourblind, so he has issues distinguishing red, <laughs> red and yellows, which I find as as a footballer to be absolutely amazing because people have pointed out that his worst games tend to be against teams that play in red. Because he had the game against Forest, which was awful this season, and uh, there was the FA Cup game against Arsenal, I think, where he, he basically played the ball across goal to for Giroud to, to tap in, um, and, and he does seem to have these really off days against red teams. And obviously, Bristol City wearing red, perhaps he isn't the one to come into the team. Well, maybe that was the whole reason for our pink away kit not long ago, but. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you one thing, whether it's true or not, I'm going to start using it as an excuse myself. <laughs> um, but look, uh, look, there could be something in that, I'm not sure. But I, I do remember watching uh, the last home game thinking, do you know what, this is not acceptable. Yeah. Um, and not, not to single out him, I'm only using it because it's an example I can remember. But we've got to get to the point now where we, we have to continually improve as a squad and feel like we're getting better. And I honestly think that if we got promoted tomorrow, Myla wouldn't fit in that squad. No. And we actually need to start thinking about the fact that when we did get promoted last time, we had the core of a Premier League squad. Um, and that's really what it's starting to show again with some of the teams up the top of the tables, that they've got squads that are not far away from being Premier League ready. And that's what we've got to get to. Um, and even Grisicki, Polish superstar, scores goals, whatever, his attitude still got to change. It's not about him; it's about the team. And um, I think he, he he proved on the um, the Ipswich game that uh, a couple of times there, the way he was sort of I don't know frustrated or showing emotion towards some of his teammates. That's where you want Dawson to pull his head in and say, "Hang on a minute, mate! You're no superstar on the defensive side of things either." Um, we're a team here and this is how we're going to do it and turn this around. Well, hopefully we can start to turn that around against Bristol City. Do you have a, uh, a score prediction for this one? Well, as you know, I think I predicted 2-1 for the Ipswich game and uh, oh. was robbed. Um, so I, I think this week actually, um, and this is the only time I'm probably going to really say that I'm confident, is I think we'll actually draw again. I think we'll have a two-all draw or a three-all draw. I really do because I just don't see our defensive frailties changing overnight. Um, and I think that the time's come to make a real structural change to that defence, even even dropping players and trying something different. I mean, the fact that we saw Clark not 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 in the last lineup in defence concerned me a little bit. He's not a superstar, but we know that he's probably one of the better options. Um, that. You know, that sort of wing-back role, he can 
provide for us is sort of going to help us. And um, I think it's probably two or three or would be my pick for this week. Uh, the reason I laugh at that is because last week, of course, you with your 2-1 tip very close to being correct, but I tipped a draw last week. Uh, and right. You, you, and you tipping the draw this week, and I'm going to be going for a 3-1 home win. I, I'm feeling quite confident about this one. I think um, it, it, it is, as we've been saying all podcasts, it's the it's it's the game where the players really need to stand up. There's been all of the talk around Slutsky, Dawson, Myla, all of the other leaders in that squad, Campbell and McGregor, all of them need to be pulling the team together and saying, this is on us. We need to turn this form around. We need to show the gaffer that we've got his back and they're going to pull out a performance that will blow Bristol City off the park. And I'm, I'm really backing us to go out there and, and get a very positive result. Oh, I hope so. And, and look, you're right. When you just named those players there, I felt anyway, especially against, um, against Millwall, that... Uh, there's a couple of set pieces there. I can see Dicko being pretty vocal. Yeah. I mean, the guy's been at the club five minutes and he yeah. seemed to be the only one that was really shouldering the weight of expectation and saying, hang on, guys, we could do this and do that and, and not so much telling blokes what to do, but there was some leadership there. Now, we know he's an experienced player and he, he knows his job, but still at a new club, you've got to find your feet. But the fact that we could see it from him and not from others um, was pretty disappointing. And Hector especially. I mean, I know Dawson we've talked about earlier on, but Hector's got every physical attribute to be the best defender in the competition. Um but he just doesn't appear to want to really boss that position, and that's what we're after. Well, hopefully we can uh, we can build on the the couple of draws that we've had in the last week, and we can get the result against Bristol City. Starts moving starts move up the table away from the wrong end of the uh, ro- the wrong end of the division, and, and hopefully get a few decent results on the board. But thank you for being on tonight, Brad. Thanks for having me, Mark. Good to speak to you and, and everyone thanks. else. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Hopefully we can get those three points and next week will be a very positive episode if that's the case. Um, but until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're out.